Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman Woo! here with you on a Monday morning, and we are back doing podcast in Starkville at the Super Talk Studios. We appreciate you guys listening to us wherever you're listening to us and however you're listening to us, be it on supertalk.fm or any of the places you get po- your podcasts. Uh, we appreciate it. We appreciate our great listeners out there, especially our servicemen and women who are serving our country as we speak. We also want to thank our sponsor, Strange Brew Coffee House and Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. I bet, Joel T., you have been to Strange Brew since we have returned to Starville. I pulled up out there in the driveway, and I thought, I bet Brian's going to ask me that as part of the promo. And? and uh, have not yet. <laughs> what are you waiting on, my friend? Uh, you know, I really have only had two opportunities, Saturday, Sunday, yeah. um, to this point. And uh, yesterday, Feels man, like you should be two for two. Yesterday was like a, a pool day with the youngins and the fam and yeah. stuff and things. So uh, just just kept my my coffee on this side of town and then and there at the house. And then today was Cal T's birthday. So That's we, right. We had, we had church this morning and, and this afternoon and things. We've been been playing it up and gifting it up and everything else and had had, had a great day. So again, had to just have Joel T brew there at the house. And uh, yeah, it, it's just another reminder to me that for Shane to be the true king of coffee, we need a strange brew. West Side. Yeah. So if you if you want to if you want to put something over in the nine eleven shopping center over here, Shane, or over here somewhere by Walmart, Panda Express, all that. I'm not saying I'd invest, but I'm not saying I'm not. He he, he so is don't saying, have much to invest. I, he I, I would is saying he would he would be a regular. Oh, absolutely. That could be a couple times a day. I'm probably. already a pretty you know five times a week if, regular. If it, it would be it'd be like twice a day though if you possibly yes. yeah. So I mean that in and of itself. Think about all those apartment complexes and everything out there. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. We, just, I mean, we don't have a good name for that one though. Because there's already, it's all, we're, still, we're still in strange, strange. We're still in Starkville. We don't have like Broomingham and Tuscaloosa and uh, what Broomahaw. We didn't have all those things, but we'll figure it out as we go. Broover, don't forget Broover. We're gonna need that in a few weeks. Well, we got a lot to talk about today. We got some men's basketball to talk about. Some unexpected NBA draft news that we didn't get to cover on the Friday show when we were busy doing sort of the post mortem there of the uh, the 2019 uh, baseball season. Obviously, we got some football recruiting to talk about, but we will go back to baseball to start and just sort of some final thoughts on the season and maybe a quick look ahead to 2020. What, what's the lasting uh, image of this season for you? Uh, Give me if you've got a positive one, great. If you've got a negative one, that'll work too. I mean, the lasting thing that will come to mind when I think of this season is, and, and this isn't to dismiss the, the contributions of everyone else, but Jake Mangum riding off into the sunset yeah. is really what, what to me, will define this final season. And, and, I mean, there were some great moments for other guys, too. I mean, no one will ever forget Max Homer in the Super Regional. Uh, no one will, will ever forget Ethan Small's historic season that he just had make no mistake about it, it may have been the greatest season by any pitcher in mississippi state history but to me if you ask me to pick one thing that just overrides everything it's the swan song of of jake mangum i mean you and i and robbie were somewhere on highway 82 within 30 miles of home the other night and one last time we let the outfield play loud as we uh tried to get get make that final stretch into into starkville and i'm not gonna lie folks i mean it called me Corny, cheesy, hokey, whatever. I don't know what you want to call me, but to play that, I mean, that kind of makes me sad now. I, I haven't listened to it since the other night. I'm interested to see what emotions come over me the next time I hear it. But uh, in the middle of the night, almost home from Omaha, to, to have that blaring, at, you know, around 10.30 p.m., pulling back into Octibaha County, and to think that that's it, man. Like, 
four years I hear this song and Jake Mangum strides to the plate and the career that he had and all the good times that, that he has produced for Mississippi State and all the, you know, fun times we've had covering him. And, and now when I think of it, it's just like, it's over. You know, that's a, I hate to go back into the sadness thing, but we talked a little bit the other day about how just kind of sports is saying goodbye sometimes. And, and for me, uh, when I think of this season, it will almost be synonymous with the goodbye to Jake Mangum because of what he meant to this program. Do you have a moment of Jake Mangum's season that stands out for you? Uh, to me, two things immediately come to mind. One is him robbing the, the Grand Slam in the Super. That's one thing. But I think that the lasting deal will either be the the record breaker when he blooped it into right field, the most, un, you know, just barely fell in there. And just that was kind of neat to be there for that, to, to, to see, the, see him become the all-time SEC hits king. But I, I, his part in that ninth inning, just th- there was something about that ninth inning in that Super Regional when he leads off in his final at bat at Duty Noble and just has that Jake Mangum trademark slap single to left field that we've seen so many times. And, and then, of course, that was followed later by the McNamee Blast that, that kind of just put the exclamation point on all of it. But th- those are just some of the things that immediately – just just jump immediately to mind that I'll always think about when I think of this last season. Of his. For me, I, I think I talked about this on uh, on Friday's show. It's this team only lost fifteen games. Yeah, that that is something to stand out. And I remember, like I said on Friday, we were, or I guess it's Thursday night. Tom Ebel from WCBI and I were trying to talk, trying to remember a certain loss, and it was so easy to remember them all. I mean, that's something rare. You think about baseball and and losses. And how they can pile up sometimes, and this team never let losses pile up the whole season. Uh, they always had an answer. Uh, I remember the first half of the season for JT Ginn, and my 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 conviction this kid was going to be a top five draft choice when he finally comes out. Um, and he's still very well. He still very well be the emergence of Justin Foscu uh, as a true power hitting second baseman. That's a rare thing. You don't see a lot of second basemen just smashing the ball over the outfield fence. Uh, the 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 growth and the the improvement of Dustin Skelton, who announced on uh, on Sunday that he is indeed headed off to pro baseball, um, but he became basically I thought the best catcher in the SEC, uh, both offensively and defensively this year. Um, to watch Rowdy Jordan and Tanner Allen fight through the slumps they went through, and by the end of the season they were hitting about as well, especially Tanner as as well as anybody. This isn't fair, by the way. You told me to pick one thing. You're over naming the whole lineup. Well, I'm, I'm getting to the, plan, the thing that I'm going to remember because <laughs> I wanted to get to all the positives because I'm going to start in with the negative. Yeah. And that's – I'll just go ahead and get there. Uh, I will never forget the image of Jake Mangum not getting to that ball on Thursday night. And, rem- and, and sitting in the outfield. And just collapsed in the outfield. Yeah. I'll never forget that as long as I live. I mean, and two, to add on to that, and not every well, I guess to some extent, some of you guys get to see some of this and experience some of this. Um, if you watch the the press conference that the NCAA put out, I, I think they posted on social media, so you've probably seen the emotional Jake Mangum at the presser. A lot of that will stick with me. I mean, not just the presser, but when the cameras go off at the presser and we get to go in the locker room and and uh, Jake's just sitting on the couch in the locker room and, and emotions are still you know very raw and things and and just to uh, just to shake his hand too, and and, and kind of it's not really goodbye. I mean, we'll see Jake Mangum again. You know, it's it's not like not like we'll, that's the last time we'll ever talk to him, probably. But you know, it's last time we'll talk to him with any frequency, probably. 
for a long time anyway and and and, and so uh just to shake his hand and and uh, just tell him you know it's been an honor to cover his career because it has been you know it's one of the cool parts about our job is to get to see really cool things and really cool people do really cool things and 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 make no mistake about it you know jake mangum has been really cool with us for four years um you know he's he's the last (laughs) last couple months especially or last month especially me and him's had a lot of fun with our back and forth crap about the braves and mets and uh you know that's one of those deals where i'm pretty sure i I will for the rest of my life you know anytime i I may not do it mid-season or anything but if the braves win the world series or something maybe i'll you know, shoot Jake a message and, and just give him a little more crap. You know, needle him kind of yeah. deal. And, and if the Mets win one, he can do the same to me. Like, I'm kind of looking forward to that that stage of things, too. But I will always remember, you know, the, the post-game stuff and the emotions on his face and the line that he gave about how this team is going to win a national championship, and I'm just sad that I didn't get to be a part of it kind yeah. of deal. And, and that will always kind of stick with me a little bit because, like I said on the last show, I really wanted this bunch to be the bunch to do it, him and Mac and, yeah. and Ethan and and uh, you know all those Cole Gordon and, and of course Skelton and, and company are leaving and things too. That's not to knock these other guys that are still here, the Tanner Allen's and things. I really like those guys too, but um, you know th- this was just a special, special group. But the headliner was fifteen. State just needs to retire freaking 15. Every sport. Nobody in any other sport can wear 15 and just, I don't know, put a statue on campus of, of Dak and Tierra and Jake and, you know. Don't let anybody wear 15. We don't have a, I don't guess we have a great 15 in men's basketball, but if we Two did. Two hours of 15. Ten ba- well, there you go. There you go. I, I mean, just it's not, it's not every, a bad idea. retire it in every single sport. Make, you know, just don't make the speed limit 15. But God, uh, God no. But other than that, no. Do what you want to at fifteen. No one else can wear it. A year ago, around this time, we were talking about. I don't. I don't. I guess we hadn't. The the hiring of Lamonis had not gone through yet. They, they, they were probably still in the World Series at this point, or they had just wrapped up, I guess. And you know, the big names were still out there: Schloss, Nagel, McDonald, so on. And then you, you find out it's Chris Lamonis. And I think you and I are both of the same opinion at the time. Like, who? Who is this guy? Yeah. You know, you had to do a Wikipedia. You had to do a Google search for the name Chris Lamonis. Never I mean, heard of him. I mean, it really seemed like option. Z almost yeah. not, not that far down the list, but you get what I'm saying. You yeah, know, it was, it was down the list. It was yeah. it, it, regardless of what anybody at MSU will tell you, it was down the list. There's, there's there's no way around that. And it turned out to be a fantastic hire on on all levels too. Not not just you know good coach, good recruiter, but he's he's good with the media. His players seem to like him. He's got the right attitude. I think you know he's he's really laid back. You know, people some people thought that as a, a little bit of a negative, but we saw some fire, especially in that last game. Um, it's 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 interesting to see, you know, coaching searches are sort of like recruiting classes. You really can't grade them in the first year unless something really goes wrong or goes inexplicably right. I think this team had high expectations, but I don't think it had 52 and 15 College World Series expectations. Maybe not everybody, anyway. What What's your takeaway from Lamonis's first year? I mean, you couldn't have asked for any better. I, I kind of go back to, I guess Jake Mangum's getting a lot of play here today, but was talking to him after the game again about chris and and uh he said you know joel you look at this guy and it's really easy to say he came into a great situation and anybody could have came into a a great situation and do what he just did he said but you have to think about he came into this locker room with a you know very influential type senior senior class and uh that's now had four coaches in four years and you know to us it's kind of like well here's another one kind of deal like 
could have easily went off the rails and just kind of everybody, you know, not buy in when you've got a fourth voice to listen to in four years and you could just kind of say, hey, I'm doing my own thing, you know. No, <laughs> seems to be no consistency. But these guys didn't do that. Chris Lamonis won them over immediately. And, you know, for the little bit that we got to know him, it's pretty easy to, to see why. Uh, you know, he, he's, from a media standpoint, he sat up there at the the podium after the game and and uh, in a national setting thanked us, the local media. <laughs> pretty much i don't know that we've ever had a coach to do that he's done some things behind the scenes you know to say thank you to us before that's that's incredible you know it's and it's not just it's it's not him you know buying us off or anything he's a genuinely good dude i asked elijah mcnamee i said when was there a moment that you guys just knew that chris lamonis was going to work and he said i'll be honest with you immediately we came in that first meeting and he had this schedule of how things were going to go and said we were going to stick to it and we're going to do it this way and we're going to whatever and he said i kind of sat back and thought wow we're, we're organized for once you know and this is a guy that i guess had three coaches in three years he did not play for cohen um although i guess cohen recruited him correct yeah yeah would have recruited mac but yeah he only played for canazaro henderson and and Lamonis. but you know he saw a lot of crap over his time here and no, uh, mac, mac played for cohen did he in 16 yeah, yeah. No, he was a JUCO transfer, right? Yeah, he didn't play. Is that right? he, he was not on that sixteen team. I guess you're right. Yeah, he was not on the sixteen team. It was seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. But you're gonna make me look. But I'm pretty. I guess you're right. Yeah, I am right. You can you can look and, and verify that that lightning struck. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no. Uh, anyway, he just said that immediately. He could tell that that this was a a man that had his you know T's crossed and I's dotted kind of deal, and and he was out there cracking jokes at him in the outfield, kind of you know giving them heck a little bit, but in a good way, just kind of, he bonded with this team immediately. And, and you and I have kind of gotten to see that a little bit too, from a media standpoint, just how good a dude he is. And, um, you know, you really feel like he's going to continue to recruit. Well, he, he's a guy that these, these other guys like to play for. He's a guy that doesn't seem to freak out. You know, they were talking about how up 10 runs down 10 runs in the dug, which not, not wasn't many times this year to freak out, to be honest, but said that he was an even kill kind of guy. I mean, nothing but glowing reviews from this senior class. And quite honestly, I think that post-game, had they felt any differently, you would have been able to tell. You know, they, they might would have blown some smoke up your ear a little bit. No one was going to say, oh, he's terrible or whatever. But the the praise that was heaped upon Chris Lamonis and the way that that praise was heaped upon him, it was 100% genuine. These guys believe in him. And, you know, we'll see if that leads – Eventually, like Jake Mangum said, to the school's first ever national championship. But I mean, I I think that it was a home run hire at this point. I, I know it's just one year in, and then we'll see where it goes from here. But if you're grading it today, I don't know how you grade anything other than an A plus. What about next year? From a just in general perspective, yeah. what do you think? I mean, you're going to need some guys to take strides forward, but that's what college baseball is all about, you know. I mean, you saw that this year. You saw Justin Foscue and Jordan Westberg and all those guys take strides forward. I mean, you're going to need to see that next year, too, out of guys um, like, you know, Luke Hancock. You know, he's a guy that's going to have to come in there, and whether he catches or whether he DHs or whether he changes positions or something, I mean, he's a guy that's going to have to take some strides forward. He was, oh, by the way, he was pretty good this year. You know, I'm not yeah. saying he wasn't, but, you know, over the course, if he's going to play most of the 56 games, you're going to have to see him 
take a one of those sophomore leaps forward like a Foscue or like a Westberg or something like that, you know, and same out of Hayden Jones and, and same out of uh, Landon Jordan. And, 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 I mean, there there is a ton of talent on this team, man. I mean, a lot of, yeah, it's going to have to develop a little further, but, I mean, I think from a lineup perspective that this offense is going to be really, really darn good again. You know, you, you yeah, you're going to miss Jake Mangum at the top of the order, you know, but I, I really feel like that, one through nine, this is going to be a, a very, very, very solid uh, lineup. I, to me, the question above all else is is the pitching component of it. I mean, you know, you have JT Ginn on Friday nights. Um, how do you fill out that rotation? You know, does, does Eric Sarantola, does he take that big stride forward and become, you know, here's another Jake Mangum reference that he's going to be a first-round pick someday. You know, does, does he start showing that, or is it going to be – you know, State's had several guys before, Dakota Hudson, Chris Stratton, that basically just had one great year. Is Sarantola going to be a guy that does that? Uh, or is he a guy that next year is going to just you're, – you're going to really see who he can be. And I, judging by his late-season relief appearances, it seems like he's starting to figure things out a little bit. And if he does, I mean, whoa, JT again, and you got Sarantola throwing mid to upper 90s, and if he's controlling it and things, that's a heck of a Friday-Saturday Um you know, who, who's that third starter? Is it Christian McLeod? You know, a guy that didn't play at all this year, and he's going to, you know, is he going to bust onto the scene as a redshirt freshman next year and grab a spot? Um, does does Brandon Smith, you know, is he a guy that could, could work his way into that? And then even if that happens, what about the pin? You know, you, you lose Lee Belt, you lose Gordon, you, you lose Barlow. You know, basically everybody that was um, a really good pin option is gone yeah so um definitely starting over so so your bullpen right now sitting here on june the i guess 24th is what if you're listening on monday um june 24th 2019 I, i would say right now the biggest concern is is the bullpen more than anything else i mean yeah like i said you can make a case for the back half of the rotation but uh yeah the the bullpen right now is the glaring hole on this team if they get that figured out I mean, we're sitting here talking about a host team again, probably. Probably so. So, long way to uh, to move forward, and we'll see what happens. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, the finishing touches on. The, uh, there's always a you know a late. There's always like a late recruiting news with baseball. Somebody decides at the last second to take a a contract that you weren't expecting. So we'll see how it all finishes out. But you know, as you sit here, it's it's the middle of June. You know, middle of October. Talking about the banana split series. So you know. Not that far. It's never nothing is ever that far off. It really for sure. Is. All right, let's uh, let's let's switch gears here and talk a little men's basketball because uh, here's a headline I didn't expect to write for an article over at SuperTalk.fm uh, that Quindary Weatherspoon was indeed drafted into the NBA draft. It happened while we were down in the locker room getting our post game stuff. Just sort of the Spurs slipped it in there, but he's headed to San Antonio to play for the San Antonio Spurs. Now, I watch enough NBA to know that second round picks they don't usually. It's not usually much for them, all right? I mean, for whatever reason, outside of the top five or six guys every year, nobody, it's just rare. You know, there, there are some great second-round picks in, in the NBA, but they're, they're rare. But for me, for a guy of Q's talents and his skill set and what he likes to do, to go to the Spurs is about the best-case scenario for him. To play for a coach who knows how to maximize the talent of his players, who, know, who runs a, a system that is very, very player-friendly, in my opinion, and it's a, sec- a successful franchise, obviously. Uh, has won a, have won a ton of titles. 
this is a good setup for Q. How surprised were you to see him get selected? Well, in the back end of some, you know, mock drafts or whatever, he had been kind of there, right? So Not, he had sort of dropped out in the last few I had seen. Um, I don't know that I was just floored. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll tell you what, I don't think it was a bad shot in the dark by the Spurs. I watched enough Q Weatherspoon to know that I'll never forget talking about Q with with uh, David Brandt at several games this year, and just over and over again, the, the common theme in those conversations were, you know, Q Weatherspoon isn't fantastic at anything, but he's great at a lot of stuff. <laughs> and, and so I just feel like that plays anywhere. Um, in, in the NBA, I don't know that Q will ever be a superstar, but if you told me that here in five, six years he's a solid player off the bench for somebody, Spurs or someone else, I'd probably say that sounds about right. You know, he's he's a guy that we sat there and watched play pretty good defense. Uh, he can shoot. He can get to the rim when he needs to. He's there's not much he can't do. There may not be any one thing that is just his specialty. And I know that's kind of the thing that makes you a star in the NBA a little bit is to kind of have that one or two things that that's just what you know known for a little bit. Well, Q really doesn't have that. He's just a solid dude. And and so if you told me that he has a somewhat lengthy NBA career and was a solid role player for someone, I'm not shocked at all. For me, I, first of all, I was surprised. I was surprised to see him get, to go because I just – the last few uh, mock drafts I had seen, he wasn't in there. And I, like I had been saying for weeks that he had just – you know, he, he had a, a skill set that was good, but what he didn't have was like that one thing that he could do that would just lock him up into a, a role. So maybe his role is sort of, you know, we can put him in for whatever we need. And that might be very good for him. Give I mean, me that, kind of like that utility guy uh, in baseball. A Swiss Army knife kind of guy. Yeah. yeah, where it's like, oh, we need some scoring, put in Q. We need some defense, put in Q. We need somebody to handle the ball here. We have somebody in, in foul Q. trouble. Get out yeah, there. Get out there, and yeah. So you got a lot of options there with Quindary Weatherspoon. So a good setup for him in San Antonio, obviously. And they're a team that's sort of transitioning. You know, the Duncan, uh, Parker, Ginobili days are over. Kawhi obviously went up to Toronto. So they're in transition a little bit. So you know they got they, they need some young players to step up, and, and maybe Q can be one of those guys. You know, if he doesn't make the team, obviously I'm not going to be completely surprised. But at the same time, if he does make the team and carves out a niche for himself in the NBA, I won't be surprised by that either. Yeah, uh, and you know, we've all probably kind of overlooked Q before. There was once a guy at Mississippi State for a year named Malik Newman that everybody's eyes was on, and then before all was said and done, all anybody could talk about was Q. So, uh, you know, it's obviously a little different situation in the NBA, but, you know, Q's kind of been overlooked before and rose to the occasion. And, uh, you know, if he does it again, I mean, I think he's got the talent yeah, to, 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 to kind of, you know, make a little noise. Do I think he's going to be a, you know, multi-time NBA all-star or something like that? No. I, I mean, if you made me predict, no. But if I thought, do you, you know, Joel, do you think he's going to, you know, have a role to play possibly? And, and, and you told me that he did. I'm – yeah, that, that seems about right. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, from a guy who's uh, run out the course of his career and, and is headed on to the pros to some guys who are about to start their career. All right, two commitments on Friday for Mississippi State. Both four-star kids, both Mississippi kids. 
and both the kind of athletes that Joe Moorhead's going to want to put into his offense. We'll start with the return of Lediatric slash Tulu Griffin, who decommitted just over a month ago, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, but has returned to the fold. Four-star receiver, slot receiver out of Philadelphia High School, Philadelphia, Mississippi. Uh, rated as the number four player in the state of Mississippi by 24-7 Sports. Uh, even when he decommitted, there was a lot of, of optimism that he would return. Uh, that he that he just I don't know that it was one of those I, I made the decision too fast kind of deals. I think it was more of I see what everybody else is doing and I want to do it too kind of deal. And that's what it felt like to me anyway. Yeah, and uh, you know my mom always said you know if everybody else jumped off a bridge, would you do it too kind of deal? Well, you know when you're when you're that age, sometimes you do. <laughs> Your buddy, you see everybody around you kind of doing something, and so you you hop in in the fall too. And, and he may have done that, but. Uh, you know, here he is. He, he he's back. I love I love Joe Moorhead's hashtag re ring the bell or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. Yeah, but. a little subtle joke there. <laughs> if, you did, uh, if you didn't catch it, because the bell had already had already been rung once for for Griffin. Um, and of course, you know, fills a need for Mississippi State receiver, receiver, receiver. MSU with now one, two, three, four, four. There's five, right? Four, four receivers committed. With Malik Heath, every time we talk about recruiting, I mention Malik Heath. Uh, he's going to come back to Mississippi State unless something unusual happens. Everybody expects that, but that's you know that's a big need for MSU, and and they they they're stocking up on him. Man, if anybody wants to be well remembered in Mississippi State history, and you're a receiver somewhere, I mean, all you got to do is come in here and and be a guy that the fan base can kind of like put their hands in the air and say, finally. Yeah. We have a guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, because it's, it's been what? Since Fred Ross, you know, a few years. Is that, is that really the last guy that you just really yeah. kind of. I mean, Fred, go, Ross was, Fred Ross was MSU's last all SEC receiver. But I mean, I mean, other than he and Duranya Wilson, it's been, it's been year, decades. Yeah. You know, those are the only two. And you think about, you know, the early years of Mullen, you didn't really have a guy like that. You know, Brandon McCray had that one big year under Croom, which, I mean, that's saying something. Um, yeah, you gotta go back and get Justin Jenkins. Yeah, I don't know. So, and then of course you go back to Eric Molds. Beyond that, Chuckle County boy, Shaston Coleman. Well, you know my wife knew Shaston Coleman. She was yeah. friends with him. They worked together for a while. No yeah. relation. I like Shaston. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. So, all right. They also added a uh, six foot, hundred ninety two pound athlete out of Greenville, Mississippi, Greenville St. Joseph High School. Boo! Oh, I'm sorry. I just have it. Uh, Dylan Johnson is his name. Likely to end up at running back for Mississippi State, which means it's a two running back class, which it sort of needed to be. When you look ahead to next year, Nick Griffin, or, no, I'm sorry, Nick Gibson gone. Nick Griffin's been gone. Shout out to Nick Griffin down at Madison Central. Uh, he's gone. Alec Murphy's gone. Uh, and then Kylan Hill, I don't think he's going to go pro as a junior, but he could. But you needed some depth there, and you needed, and you needed some more explosive playmakers because I don't know. Yeah, Weatherspoon, Lee Weatherspoon looks like he's got some explosive ability. Kareem Walker does not. He looks yeah. more like a just a traditional between the tackles kind of yeah. guy. You're talking about Colin Hill. I guarantee you on Twitter he'll talk like he's going pro. He's gonna talk like it, but but Johnson and Marks are, are two fantastic athletes. State wanted to get two quarter running backs in this class and have done it. Uh, and now state has uh three of the top ten, or I guess if you really want to be specific, three of the top eight uh prospects in the state of Mississippi uh for this twenty twenty recruiting cycle. Both those guys are four stars. Um, just just a, you know looks good looks good on paper. State's recruiting, you know, obviously it's the summer has always been when state does its best recruiting for whatever reason. This is an interesting class. There's only 21 commits. I have everything I've read from Paul Jones and those guys over on 24/7 lead me to believe that state's not going to sign much more than 23, 24 guys. 
And there are, I mean, just looking at the state of Mississippi, not that the state's going to get all these guys, but if McKinley Jackson wanted to commit, the state would take him. If Eli Acker wanted to flip from, from Ole Miss, state would take him. They would take Alex Adams back. Um, Xavier Hill just committed to Alabama, a big lineman out of uh, Olive Branch. But if he flipped to Mississippi State, they would take him. Um, just trying to look down the rest. is like Montra Adams, I, I would assume they would take him. You know, number 18 player in the state, big-time defensive tackle out of uh, Lexington, Mississippi, Holmes County. So, I mean, that's just in the state of Mississippi. And then you got guys like Bryson Eason and Tyus Wheat and, and, and a few other guys. I mean, right now, they're, they're, State would take 27, 28 guys, and I guess just have to make the, make the room as they could, you know, process here and there. But it's very interesting. 21 commitments, just looking at, you know, around the country, that's among the, the, the highest numbers. Yeah. I mean, I'm just Let me see here. Looking at the team rankings, uh, Clemson has 18. Alabama has 21. That's interesting. Maybe I'm wrong then. LSU has 20. Georgia with 14. Ohio State, 13. Notre Dame, 13. Miami, 18. Florida, 16. Nine, uh, South Carolina has uh, 14, North Carolina 19, Texas A&M has 12, Oklahoma has 12, Michigan has 14, and then State has 21. So if the, of the states ranked currently uh, 14th, and they have the most commitments of anybody other than Alabama. The difference, of course, with Alabama is they have two five-stars and 15 four-stars. State has no five-stars and three uh, four-stars. 17 three-star prospects. So you know they're sort of buoyed right now by the fact that not everybody – has has a full class, where a state basically does, and you know, but this is a class where if it stays where it is, and they add maybe a couple more four stars, which they probably will, it's going to finish in the top twenty. It's going to be a pretty solid class. You did a good job of filling the needs at receiver and offensive line. You got another quarterback in Will Rogers. You got two running backs that you needed in in Benson and I'm sorry, not Benson. Benson's headed to Oregon. Uh, Johnson and Marks. You feel good. This is this is a right now on paper. This is a very solid recruiting class for Mississippi State. They, you know, it's a little juco heavy. Maybe they're, maybe you're more juco heavy than you want, but on on paper, it's it's very very solid. Yep. So yep. it's kind of, and here we go. You I, f- know, I feel it's, like it's football time. Yeah, it's time to be looking at this. <laughs> like I feel I, like Moorhead's getting 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 his feet underneath him with a, with a lot of things. Now it's it's got to translate on the field, but you know the additions of Stevens and Zuber gives me confidence that the offense will be better this year. The recruiting seems to be going in the right direction. There's reasons for optimism. But you know, we'll see where it, we'll see where it takes us. You mentioned football. Obviously, you know football's going to heat up now here on uh, Thunder and Lightning. We got a SEC preview this week. We've got an opponent preview this week. We'll talk about Alabama, the Alabama Crimson Tide. I wonder how good they're going to be this year. Spoiler: uh, We expect them to be okay. How how good will they be? We'll have to get one of their beat writers on to tell us. Spoiler alert: Probably pretty good. Uh, and then we'll have some other stuff to talk about uh, as the season goes along and the summer goes along. We're as we said here today, two weeks away from the start of SEC Media Days, and we will uh, obviously, you know, have a lot to talk about. Is with that, that right? Three, uh, three weeks. Three it's twenty fourth. Then what? The first. Something like that. And then, then the eighth. Yeah, three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah. Three weeks away. Okay, it's not as bad as we thought. So we'll we'll get it figured out. <laughs> Plenty of football to talk about though, uh, in the coming weeks for sure. All right, guys. Have a great Monday, and Joel and I will be back with you on Tuesday morning. For Joel T. Coleman, I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi.
Talk Mississippi Media Production.